Hello, my name is Pam Das and I'm an editor at The Lancet. Now 2018 has been declared the year of action against tuberculosis, the world's leading infectious disease killer. In three weeks' time, the first ever high-level UN meeting on TB will take place in New York, attended by heads of state to accelerate efforts to end TB and reach all affected people with prevention and care. The disease burden figures speak for themselves that this attention is long overdue. In 2016, there were 10.4 million estimated new TB cases with over 1.7 million deaths. Furthermore, the emergence of multidrug-resistant TB poses a major public health problem. 600,000 cases of multidrug-resistant TB emerge each year, claiming 240,000 lives. On August 20th, the WHO issued a rapid communication announcing key changes to treatment of MDR and rifampicin-resistant treatment of TB. Ahead of updated, more detailed guidelines on treatment of MDR-TB, which are to happen later in 2018. Today in The Lancet, we published the landmark study that informed the long-awaited changes to these guidelines, a meta-analysis of individual patient data that examined treatment outcomes of individual TB drugs in 12,000 patients with MDR-TB from 25 countries. I'm joined by the lead author, Dick Menzies, from McGill University. Welcome, Dick. Can I start by asking you, why is treating MDR-TB such a challenge? Good morning, Pam. Thanks for asking. MDR-TB is such a challenge because the most effective antibiotics for TB are isoniazid and rifampin, and MDR-TB is by definition resistant to those two drugs. So we're having to use often old drugs that were abandoned in the, in the 1950s and 1960s you have to bring them back and use them to treat MDR-TB. And this is largely a reflection of the fact that TB has been ignored, and so there are no n other new drugs, at least not until quite recently. Can you describe the study's key findings and the changes WHO have made in their new guidance to treat MDR-TB? So this study was a compilation of 50 studies taking the individual patient data shared by authors from countries all around the world. In the analysis, we found that several new drugs, namely bedaquiline, linazolid, and the what we call the later generation fluoroquinolones all proved to be highly effective with substantial reduction in mortality or death and substantial improvement in treatment success uh, with the use of any one of these drugs compared to the old regimens with injectables and other drugs that we've been using up till really until very recently. So with this evidence, which was presented to WHO this summer, the guidelines committee basically took the took an eraser to the old treatment regimens and almost started over completely, got rid of the injectable, got rid of many of the drugs that we've been using traditionally, and said, let's bring in these three key drugs to be sort of the core element of treatment, and then you add additional drugs as needed. And the implications of the study and the guideline changes, what is this going to mean for those who are affected by TB? So I think the most important implication is that this new treatment regimen will be much more effective for MDR-TB than what we've been used to. In the past, we've, WHO has published data that about 50% of people are cured currently, and the remainder either fail or die or are lost to follow-up presumed uh, failed or died. 
So now we think that with the new regimen, we could achieve cure rates better than 80%, maybe 90%. So really a landmark change in treatment of this, what's really been a dreaded condition. And the other major thing is, although you know no drug is perfect, this new regimen promises to be much less toxic than the old regimen. The old regimen, especially the injectables, uh, left a lot of people with either kidney damage and renal failure or hearing loss that was often permanent. So it's kind of better cure and much less side effects. So from, from a patient's point of view, I think it's very important. That sounds incredibly important and, uh, and crucial that these recommendations are rapidly implemented on a global level. That's what's written in one of the accompanying comments to the paper being published. What are the next steps for implementing the guideline changes in countries at the programme level? And how easy will it be? Are we seeing demand for the newer regimens already? That's a really a key question because that it's one thing to gather the evidence and say, okay, we should change how we do things. But then to actually get it to change is a huge task. But I know that already WHO is in discussion with uh, the Global Fund in particular and, of course, the Global Drug Facility and so Stop TP Partnership to try to work out how they're going to implement these changes because Suddenly, you know, all the drugs that people have been ordering even, think of just basics, they have to change and now they have to bring in all new drugs. They have to, of course, train people at all levels. And every country's national guidelines have to change. This is a process that's begun already. And fortunately, the ATS, so the American Thoracic Society, Center for Disease Control, Infectious Disease Society of America, and the European Respiratory Society, they also considered all this evidence and they too, again, their their guidelines are not finalized, but I expect that they will follow very closely the WHO recommendations as well. So again, in many countries, you know, there'll be a wholesale change over the next year in how MDR is treated, but it is not an easy task. So the high-level meeting that's coming up in a few weeks, that's expected to endorse a political declaration that includes ambitious milestones and targets, including expectations to diagnose and treat at least a cumulative number of 1.5 million people with MDR-TB by the end of 2022. We know access to these newer treatments currently remains hugely limited due to high costs. What commitment, actions and areas of leadership will be needed to make such a declaration a reality? It's a key issue. I think that there, there needs to be commitment both from high-income countries, so-called donor countries, but also commitment from many of the countries that are so afflicted by MDRTB to invest in what's needed for treatment. I mean, we've seen with antiretrovirals that it can be done. You can roll out massive programs successfully, get millions of people on treatment in really in a relatively short amount of time and very successfully alter an epidemic. So it can be done. We know it can be done. The question is, you know, will governments be willing to make that commitment? I certainly hope so because, again, MDR-TB is is contagious. So if you don't tackle the problem now, you'll only face a worsening problem in years to come. I think the other thing is not to underemphasize the the role of governments in the countries most afflicted, which many of which are middle-income countries. 
they too need to step forward and take charge in terms of training, in terms of uh, program changes, in terms of strengthening the public health capacity. All of those are important actions that need to be taken in within the countries most affected. And finally, can you tell us what you think and hope for the future in terms of the therapeutic TB landscape? What do you think that's going to be looking like? What's interesting is that of the new drugs that we have and this, this core of three that are highly effective, only one was actually specifically developed for tuberculosis. The others were kind of bonus because they were developed really for other infections, but turned out to be highly effective for TB. My hope is that work will continue and in fact expand to find new drugs for TB that are primarily for TB. Because otherwise we're kind of relying on good luck that an antibiotic that's useful for ankylmycin-resistant enterococci like linazolid turns out to be also good for TB. I'm not sure we can depend on that kind of luck for too long. Yeah. So I think that you know we need to see investment at many levels in uh, TB drug development. And again, I'm hoping that countries like India, Brazil, Russia, where there are huge numbers of MDR cases, but also enormous capacity, proven capacity for science and development, may pick up that challenge. I certainly hope so. I, I agree with you there that those countries really need to take the lead. Well, thank you very much, Dick, for joining us. And thanks for your thoughts and reflections. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Thank you very much, Pam.